Well, as, uh, as promised, through the book of Genesis, we have some of our different elders and pastors sharing, teaching through these chapters uh, with you guys. Uh, originally, Pastor Dan, our youth pastor, was lined up to teach chapter 38 last week, which is a doozy. And uh, as you know, if you were here... And uh, so then things got switched a little bit, and so I walked up to Dan last Wednesday. I said, hey, you're welcome. Uh, You get to jump right back into the story of Joseph, and uh, here you can open your Bibles, guys, and welcome Pastor Dan as we turn to Genesis chapter 39. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, thank you indeed to Pastor Mike. I was excited for 38. It was was great, but he he did a great job with it, though, so... I think God definitely knew, and uh, I know I was very blessed last week. So if you need a Bible, I know the ushers are already coming through, but you can raise your hands, and uh, you can turn in that Bible to Genesis chapter 39 as we continue, and we're getting, we're getting there, guys. We've been in Genesis for, I don't know how long, Pastor Mike, it's been a while, 30-something, <laughs> 30-something weeks, right? Um, but we're getting there, and not that the whole book isn't the good part, but We're getting to a great part, uh, I think, of Genesis as we talk about uh, the story of Joseph. So Genesis chapter 39, and we pick back up um, with this amazing story of Joseph. And at the very end of Genesis, a verse that maybe many of you know well, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says these words to his brothers. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is to this day to save many people alive. And this really is, if you were to give like a thesis statement for not only the story of Joseph, but for the entire book of Genesis, this is it, right? That what man has intended for evil, what the enemy has intended for evil, God has intended for good. He takes the sin, he takes the wickedness that we put forth and he brings it forward for his good because God is so good. And tonight, we're going to see that Joseph is going to be walking through some trials, right? We're going to see tonight that it seems as though God has left Joseph even. It seems as though what is happening in Joseph's life. But what I want you guys to see tonight, what what the Lord has shown me really in this scripture is that throughout all of this, the Lord was with him. And maybe tonight you come to this place and maybe you're walking through trial, right? Maybe you're walking through difficulty, through pain. What I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to know tonight is that the Lord is with you, that he hasn't left you, that he never will leave you, that he has a plan that he is orchestrating because he loves you. So Genesis chapter 39, we're going to start with verse 1. Verse 1 says this, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So just to recap what Pastor Chris a few weeks ago shared in Genesis chapter 37, that you have this man, Joseph. And Joseph has these dreams, these dreams of greatness. In his dreams, he sees that his brothers and in his other dream, even his mother and his father are bowing down to him. And, and his brothers, of course, hear that message, and they're not happy about it. They're like, we're going to bow down to you, Joseph? No, right? They're not having that at all. It, they hate him. They despise him. And what we see later in that chapter is that they have an opportunity 
to try to actually kill Joseph. But what they end up doing is they end up casting him down. They strip him of his cloak. They cast him down into a pit, and they leave him for dead. And then Judah says, hey, wait a second. Maybe we shouldn't kill him. Maybe we can actually benefit from him, right? And we can sell him. And we see that they sell him to the Midianites, and they sell him for silver. So we pick up here, though, in chapter 39, and Joseph now has been taken to Egypt, and he has been given into the the care of this man named Potiphar. And it says here that Potiphar is an officer of Pharaoh. He's a captain of the guard. So So Potiphar, in a sense, is the head of if Pharaoh was to have a secret service, right? Potiphar is the head of that. He would be in charge, most likely, of execution of, of, of prisoners, right? The point is, is that Potiphar is a powerful man in the kingdom of Egypt, which is maybe the most powerful kingdom in all of the world at this time. You know, I want you to think about how Joseph must feel during this time, right? He has gone from having these dreams, gone from being in this position with his family And now he finds himself away from his home. Now he finds himself in Egypt. He was rejected by his brothers. He was stripped of his cloak. He was left to die. And now he finds himself in slavery. You know, it's so funny. It's so crazy how life can change so quickly, right? That for Joseph, his whole world has been turned upside down. And you can just imagine the place that Joseph is in, a place of brokenness, right? A, a, a place of, of thinking in his mind, I will never see my family again, right? I will never go back home. I will die as a slave in Egypt. But take a look with me at verse 2, because this is why God is so amazing. In verse 2, it says these amazing words, but the Lord was with Joseph. It's amazing, right? The Lord was with Joseph despite everything that he had been through, despite everything that he had suffered, the Lord was with him. Now, from the outside perspective, you might look at that and say, well, where was God when he was being betrayed by his brothers, right? Where was God when he was being sold into slavery? But you see, the Lord was with him. God had not forsaken him. And that brings us to our first point tonight, is that the Lord was with Joseph in his rejection. You see, although Joseph was rejected by man, he was not forsaken of God. Although Joseph was cast aside by his brothers, God did not cast him aside, right? God was with him in every aspect of these trials that we were in because God knew that these trials were part of his plan for Joseph. And listen, that Joseph was exactly where God wanted him to be. You know, there is no better place to be. There is no safer place to be than inside of the will of God. And as Joseph is trusting in the Lord, God knows that this is where he needs to be. Now, for Joseph, you know, it's easy for me to say that because I know the rest of the book of Genesis, right? I've read the rest and I see the outcome. But for Joseph, you can only imagine how incredibly difficult this is. But what we see tonight in him is that his faith does not waver. You see, Joseph had a relationship with the Lord. And even in the midst of this trial, he could be confident that God had not forsaken him. Spurgeon says this about God not forsaking his people. He says, it would dishonor his great name for him to forsake them, since it would either show that he made an error in his choice or that he was fickle in his love. God's love has this glory that it never changes. And this glory 
he will never tarnish. You see, God has saved us, right? He has given us and poured out his grace. And, and what Spurgeon's quote there is saying is that how could God, who has loved us enough to give his son for us, how could he then leave us, right? He will not let anyone snatch us out of his hand. That's who God is. He does not leave. He does not forsake us. You know, for Joseph, he had faced rejection. And there can be perhaps nothing more painful sometimes than rejection, but especially when that rejection comes from your family. You know, maybe some of you in this room have experienced this, right? Maybe some of you, even because of your faith in Christ, have experienced that rejection. And when it's rejection from the world, it stings. But when it's rejection from family, when it's rejection from those who are closest to you, the pain can sometimes be overwhelming. But you see, even when we are rejected by a man, even when Joseph was rejected by his family and by his brothers, the Lord did not forsake him. That maybe that's a word for some of you tonight, that the Lord has not forsaken you, right? That man may reject you, that man may cast you aside, but God is on your side, right? That he loves you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. God is steady and he is constant. And you know, tonight we're gonna see and throughout the rest of Genesis, we're gonna see that Joseph is such an amazing picture of Jesus Christ, right? You see, Jesus, as Joseph was, Jesus was rejected by those who were closest to him. The Bible says that he was despised and rejected by man. When Jesus came to his hometown of Nazareth, even his own family didn't believe in him. Even his own family mocked him. You know, Jesus has experienced rejection, because of that, he is with us, even in our rejection. So here's the situation with Joseph, taken into Potiphar's house, rejected by man, but the Lord was with him. And in verse two, continuing, it says, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Verse three, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had, he put under his authority. And so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. So we see, first of all, that the Lord was with Joseph in rejection. And number two, we see tonight that the Lord was with Joseph in his servitude. You know, Joseph, it could have been so easy for him to have been bitter about the circumstances that he was in. It could have been so easy for him to say, I was unjustly cast into a pit by my brothers. I was unjustly sold into the hands of the Midianites, sold into Potiphar's house. You know what? I'm done, right? You know what? God, you're supposed to be with me. I'm done, right? I'm going to shut down. I'm going to go to Potiphar's house, and I'm going to do nothing, right? And I'm going to be here, and I'm just going to be just completely shut down and not give any effort in what I do. But instead, we see the opposite. 
Instead, we see Joseph, he begins to diligently serve Potiphar. And what do we see? That the grace of God, that by God's grace, God starts to pour out his blessing upon Potiphar's household. Potiphar starts to see his household blessed financially. He starts to see his, his, his fields blessed. God is doing an amazing work. But I love what it says there in verse 3. This is amazing, right? It says in verse 3 that his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. You see, Potiphar, all these amazing things, he gives kind of control of his household over to Joseph and he sees this blessing. And who does Potiphar give the credit to? gives the credit to the Lord. Guys, this is amazing. Potiphar, the name Potiphar, means devoted to the sun. See, this was a name that was connected to Egyptian gods, to Egyptian deities. Potiphar is a pagan man. Not only is Potiphar a pagan man, but Potiphar is a man who is wealthy. He's a man with a lot of power. He's a man with a lot of control. And what is this man saying? That it is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that is blessing my household. Do we see how amazing this is? Do we see how great God is and the testimony from Joseph? And the reason for this, I have to believe, is because of the way that Joseph conducted himself. See, Joseph conducted himself in a way that brought the glory to God and not the glory to himself. Joseph was clearly bold in his faith. Right? How else would Potiphar know even to talk about the Lord? But Joseph did not hide his faith. Joseph, perhaps like Daniel, would pray openly to God. Joseph, being a Jewish man, would, would, would keep his customs and would continue to worship and to honor his God. Although he was a slave in Potiphar's household, he did not hide who he was. So he was bold in his faith, but also because the Lord was with him, Joseph served the house faithfully. He served with joy, listen, because he knew that his service was not to Potiphar, that Potiphar was not his true master, but God was his master. He did his work unto the Lord. Even though he was in bondage to his master, he served the household with integrity and with diligence. You know, the Bible calls us to do the things that we do, to do our work unto the Lord. I think about what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to man. This is what Joseph was doing. Joseph was serving the Lord and not man. A question for us tonight, church, for all of us to examine our hearts, are we doing our work unto the Lord? Are we doing even the simplest and most mundane tasks unto the Lord? Because you know what? When we do, there is no task that is mundane because everything that we do is worship. Everything that we do can bring glory to God. See, as Christians, we are called to work hard. We're called, like Joseph, to do our work unto the Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, a verse that maybe we're familiar with, he says, Do all things, Paul writes, without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, do we do our work without complaining and disputing? Listen, I'm a school teacher, right? 
It's the first day of summer for me. Like yesterday was the last day of school. The month of June, it's a lot of complaining, right? It's a lot of complaining on everyone's part. This, the students' part, we don't want to be here. The teachers, we really don't want to be here, right? I, I know the, the air conditioning in, in, in my hallway, just my hallway in my school has been broken for the entire spring. So there were a few days where it, it legitimately felt like I was sitting in a sauna and just, I'm trying to teach and there's, not to be gross with you guys, but just sweat <laughs> just pouring down my face, right? And the temptation there is to complain. Everyone else is complaining, right? You, you talk to the other teachers and you guys, your coworkers, everyone is constantly, the boss is, is, is this and that and, you know, we're, we're not paid enough and this and that, the, the students are awful, but listen, we are called to do all things without complaining and disputing. And look at what Paul says, that in the midst of a crooked, perverse generation that you may shine as lights. You see, people will notice when you don't complain. Years back, I was working, one of my first jobs, I was a lifeguard at uh, Six Flags Hurricane Harbor. And on the, the holiday weekends, Memorial Day, 4th of July, there would be like 15,000 people in the park. It would be insane. And when people come, a lot of times from different states, they leave the park a mess. You'd be amazed the things that you find uh, after, after a day there. Diapers all over the place, this and that, right? And I remember that there, there was one time I was working, I, I was newly saved, and my coworkers were just in a circle, and they were just complaining, like, man, these people are the worst. Everything is terrible. It's so hot. And I remember that at the time, I wasn't even trying to not complain but I had just gotten saved, and my heart was just in love with Jesus, right? All that was on my mind was Jesus. I, I think as this conversation is going on, I'm just like worshiping the Lord in my head. I'm like, man, God is so good. And then one of my coworkers turns to me, and they're like, hey, you. Like, how come you never complain? And, and he looked at me and pointed at me. He said, what, what, what's wrong with you? Why, why don't you complain? Why, why don't you ever say anything? And it was an opportunity, and I got to share. I was like, you know, I love Jesus, man. I'm a Christian, and I have, I have nothing to complain about. I'm going to heaven, and I don't know what he said after. It was that, I don't know if he took it so well, but the, the reality is that when we do our work unto the Lord, when we don't complain, it brings glory to God. We're called to submit. See, Joseph submitted to Potiphar. He submitted even though the man that was in authority was not a godly man. The man that was in authority was not a Christian. He's a pagan man. He's an Egyptian. You know, 1 Peter 2.18 says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Right? We are called to submit. We are called to work hard even when those in authority over us are harsh. Even when those in authority over us do not treat us well. It's easy to submit to someone who's the most amazing boss ever, right? But what about those who are harsh? Do we submit? Well, when we recognize that our submission is not to man, but to the Lord, God will give us the grace to be able to submit. So we see, though, Joseph modeling this. We see his obedience and his service to the Lord. Something to challenge us on tonight is do we serve the Lord like this, right? What about in our workplaces, do our coworkers know that we're believers in Jesus? Do they know that we're Christians? Are we reflecting Christ in the way that we work? You see, as Christians, we're under a microscope. When people know that you're a believer, it brings an extra responsibility but a great opportunity. Because when they know that you're a Christian but you're clocking in late, you're leaving early, you're taking money under the table, you're doing this, they're going to look at you and say, I, th I thought you were a Christian, right? Is, is that what it means to be a Christian? 
But you see, when we take this charge and we're obedient to Christ and we do our work unto him and we work hard and we're diligent, God will receive the glory. So we see this in Joseph and we see that God is giving him favor in Potiphar's sight. Like we said, that Potiphar sets him to be the overseer of all his house. It says there that in verse 5 that there was nothing, or excuse me, in verse 6, that he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. In a sense, what it's saying is that Potiphar trusts Joseph so much that he gives everything into his hands. He doesn't even know the finances, everything. He's saying, Joseph, you take care of it because I trust you, because you are a godly man. So we see that even in the midst of this trial that God is working. But when God is working, church, what does the enemy love to do? The enemy loves to bring about opportunity for compromise. And that's what we're gonna see really throughout this rest, the rest of this chapter. So follow along with me in verse seven. And verse 7 says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Point number three for tonight, the Lord was with Joseph in his temptation. See, as Joseph is faithfully serving the Lord, the enemy brings opportunity for temptation. The enemy brings opportunity for a place of compromise for Joseph. It says there that Potiphar's wife, that she cast longing eyes on him, and she was trying to entice him. She would say to him, lie with me, sleep with me, have sex with me. And it says in verse 10 that she did this day by day. She was relentless in her pursuit of Joseph. You know, the enemy can be relentless. The enemy can be relentless when t- with temptation. Temptation so often does not just come once, but it's relentless. It's day by day. Why? Because the enemy seeks to k- steal, to kill, and to destroy. Because the Bible says that the enemy walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You see, Joseph was not seeking this. He was not seeking Potiphar's wife, but she was seeking him, right? And so often, this is the way that the enemy can work, that he seeks whom he may devour. This temptation is relentless, and the enemy brings before Joseph the opportunity to compromise. And we think about this temptation for Joseph. You see, Joseph is a young man. At at this time, it's believed that he's in his very early 20s, right? So he's a young man that, of course, as a young man, has desires. And you could think of the way that the enemy is maybe just whispering in the ear of Joseph, saying things like, well, Joseph, you deserve this, right? Think of all that's happened to you, right? Think of what you've gone through. You didn't deserve any of that, right? So just satisfy your flesh. Just do it just once, Joseph, right? It's it's not a big deal. After all, Joseph, she's coming on to you, right? And think about you can get back at, your, at Potiphar. You can get back at your master if you do this. You think about all the justification that the enemy could have been working in Joseph's mind. You see, when we are tempted, there is often that same justification. 
You know, think about it with addiction, with, with drugs and alcohol. The temptation could be, well, you don't know how much pain I'm in, right? You don't know what, what I'm walking through. So this comforts me. This helps me, right? I, I need this. We justify what is sin in our lives. You know, with finances, we can say, well, you don't understand. I don't make enough money, right? My, I, I, I'm being unjustly paid and, and I'm being treated poorly in this way. It's not a big deal if I take some money under the table. It's not a big deal if, if, if I'm not faithful in, in my taxes or, or things like that, whatever it may be. You think about it in marriage and with sexual sin. People saying, well, you don't understand. My spouse is not giving me what I need. Because the reality is this, is that it's sin, right? It's sin. And we need to call it what it is. And look at the response. I love the response of Joseph in verse 8. It says, but he refused. See, Joseph refused. Not only, it says that he refused because he's talking about his master. He says, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand. He's saying, my master trusts me. Right? He's committed everything onto my hand except for you because you are his wife. But that's not the only reason why he refuses. He refuses because like he says there in verse 9, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He asked the question, how can I do this against God? How can I do this wickedness and sin against God? See, he calls sin what it is. Church, listen, we need to call sin what it is. We live in a culture today where we talk about, well, they're just confused. Or, you know, they're just, they're just struggling a little bit. Or they're just having, having a little bit of a hard time. Listen, it's sin and it's wickedness. You think about in, in, in this topic, and Pastor Mike talked about it last week, but of sexual sin, right? Of the messaging to young people, and I see this in youth ministry, right? The messaging to young people of you can be whatever you want, right? You can be bisexual or, or pansexual or all these crazy things. Guys, it's nothing else but wickedness. It's what it is. It's sin that comes straight from the enemy. And we need to call it what it is, right? It's, it, it's not a confusion. It's not any of these things. It is sin. And, and Joseph's not afraid to call it what it is. He knows that if he commits this act, it would be adultery against the Lord. It's like David prays in, in Psalm 51 after he sins with Bathsheba. He says, against you, God, and you alone have I sinned, right? It's not just the sin against man. It's the sin against God. So Joseph refuses. He refuses in his heart. He sets and makes this decision in his heart that he will not sin against God. But how is Joseph able to do this? Because listen, church, for all of us tonight in this room, every single one of us experiences temptation, right? The Bible talks about not if you experience temptation, but when you experience temptation. Now that, might, that temptation might look different. It might look different for all of us. But how was Joseph able to resist it? Was he just really strong, right? Was he just really had grit and was able to resist it? Did Joseph have some secret formula to resist temptation? Did he read this amazing book, How to Resist Temptation for Dummies or whatever it was? Now, you see, Joseph was able to overcome temptation, listen, because Joseph was in love with the Lord. 
Right? Joseph was in love with God. He asked this question, how can I sin against God? See, Joseph couldn't even fathom committing this clear disobedience to God. Joseph knew who he was in the Lord. The Lord was with him, and his desire was to please God. See, so often when we try to overcome temptation, that's exactly what we do is we try, right? We try really hard. And listen, there is validity. There there is absolute good things that we can do. And we're going to talk about that, precautions that we can take and things like that. But overcoming temptation is not about how hard we try. Overcome temptation is about recognizing and abiding with Jesus, right? It's about walking in fellowship with Jesus, recognizing his love for us. And when we are filled with his love, we start to lose that desire for sin, right? Our heart becomes transformed. Our heart becomes rewired, not to desire the things of the flesh, but to to desire the things of God. The Bible says that it's the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. See, when we are in love with Jesus and experiencing the fullness of joy that comes by being in his presence, the desire for sin starts to fade. You know, years ago, I was uh, at a Brazilian barbecue restaurant. I'm not sure if anyone's ever had Brazilian barbecue, like the steak. It's really good steak, really high quality. Right? So I was there with a, with a bunch of guys. I think we were celebrating uh, one of the brothers here getting married. And we got there. I, I'm, I'm someone, when I grew up, I was used to eating. My dad worked nights. I was used to eating at like 5 o'clock p.m. And it's like 8 o'clock. And these guys are like, yeah, let's go eat dinner now. So I'm starving. I'm like really hungry. So when we get to this restaurant, and they're like, well, yeah, it's going to be like an hour wait. And I'm like, oh, no. Right? And <laughs> we're sitting there for an hour, and there's, there's this long wait. And then finally we get seated. And this was the kind of restaurant where the waiter would bring out the meat to the table and you would just be able to, to kind of take whatever you want when the waiter would bring it out. There'd be all different rounds that they would bring out. So I'm sitting here and finally the first meat comes out and I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. Like, hey man, thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> it's coming, it's like 9.30 at this time. I'm so hungry. The meat comes out and I'm sitting next to, actually, Pastor Colin. Uh, it was sitting next to me and he taps me and he says, bro, you don't want this meat. And I was like, what are you, crazy? What do you mean I don't want this meat? There's nothing more right now at this moment that I want except for this meat. He's like, bro, trust me. You don't want this stuff. This this is not the good stuff. I'm like, but it smells good, but it looks good. He's like, dude, just trust me. So I don't take it. It was like some sausage or something. I don't know what it was, right? And then they come again and then again and again. Pastor Colin, no, Dan, no. You don't don't want this. I'm saying, saying, dude, are you trying to torture me? What are you doing? He's like, no, no, just wait. And and Pastor Colin calls the waiter over, and he says, hey, says, when are you bringing out the good stuff? And the the waiter's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, look, I I know your secret. I know you have it in the back. And I I forget what the meat is called, like picanha or something like that. Am I right? Anyone know? Brazilian barbecue? (laughs) Is that right? Picanha. (laughs) Right? There's that, and there's this high-quality meat. And then Finally, they bring it out, and Colin asks me, says, now's your time, right? Now you're ready. And I remember the meat was just amazing, some of the best meat I've ever had. But the other guys at the table, at this time, they've, they've filled up, man. They've eaten all this sausage and all this cheap stuff. And me and Colin, though, we feasted <laughs> on, on what is good, right? We feasted on, on what is beautiful and what is quality. And, you know, the point of the illustration is this, is that 
once you know what is good, right? Once you know what is pure, you won't settle for anything less than that, right? And, and for us as Christians, for us as believers, once we've experienced the fullness of God, we're not gonna settle for the sausage. <laughs> we're not gonna settle for anything that is less than Jesus, right? When we experience God, when we spend time in his presence, when we're filled with the fullness of joy that comes from him. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see, so often we, we take that verse and we try so hard to put off the flesh and say, I just need to put it off, this temptation that I'm struggling with, I just need to put it off and to put it off, but we forget the first part of the verse. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And then, as you put on Christ, you will make no provision to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. See, for Joseph, the thought of even doing this before God was appalling. So day after day, he resisted. Day after day, he faithfully honored God. Now, for a minute, let's contrast this to what Pastor Mike talked about last week, if you were here, with Judah and Tamar. You see, if you remember, Judah, he saw his daughter-in-law, who he thought was a harlot. And what did he do? That as soon as the opportunity presented itself, he ran to her and he slept with her. You see, Judah is, is such a contrast to Joseph. Judah's heart was far from the Lord. He had married a pagan woman. He had compromised in his faith. And then he had no problem running to temptation when temptation was set before him. He had no problem entering into sexual sin because his heart was so far away from the things of the Lord. You see, if you are already walking in the flesh, it's easy to continue to feed the flesh. You see, the flesh always wants more. Right? Galatians talks about this, right? That the flesh just, it wars against the spirit, but it desires more. That when you feed the flesh, we justify and say in our minds, well, I'm just going to give a little bit, right? I'm just going to compromise a little bit, and then that, 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 that's all. That's never all, right? There's always more. The flesh always desires more. But you see, we contrast that to Joseph. Joseph was walking with the Lord. Because he was walking with the Lord, he was able to clearly recognize that this sexual sin was not of the Lord. You see, fleshly-minded people will act fleshly, but spiritually-minded people will act spiritually says this in Romans chapter 8, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh, listen, cannot please God. You see, believer, we need Jesus, right? To overcome temptation, we need to be filled with the spirit of God, filled with the fullness of God. And when we are though, when we invite Jesus, into, when we walk in fellowship with him, I'm not talking about we come to church on Sunday, we come to church on Wednesday. All these things are great. When we fellowship with Jesus, I, I spoke to the youth group about this this week, is that so often we wonder, why do I lack joy? Why do I lack victory over sin? Have we invited the Lord in? Have we allowed Jesus to fellowship with us? Are we seeking after his face? 
Just one more thought on the scripture. Once again, we see Jesus in this text. See, the Bible says that Jesus, like Joseph, was tempted. It says that he was tempted in all points, yet without sin. You see, Judah, which we talked about last week, was sexually unfaithful. But it's an amazing picture because sexually faithful Joseph, right, ensures that Judah remains in the family line, right? We see that through the faithfulness of Joseph, Judah remains in that line of Jesus. And, and it's the same for us, that even in our brokenness, even in our impurity, the faithfulness of Jesus allows us to be part of the family of God. It's amazing. Let's continue reading in verse 11 of Genesis chapter 39. Verse 11 says this, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Point number four tonight, the Lord is with Joseph in false accusation. See, Potiphar's wife strategically strikes when Joseph is alone. And listen, men, women, the enemy strikes a lot of times when we're alone, right? The enemy thrives on that isolation. And she knows exactly what she's doing, and she demands, she grabs Joseph and demands that he lie with her. And you see, this scripture, I'm sure most of us know this scripture well of how Joseph runs away, and this is an amazing thing to do, but so often I feel as though, and I've heard it myself, this scripture is taught, well, we just need to run, right? When temptation comes, just run away, and that's true. But you see, the reality is that Joseph was able to run because he already had made the decision in his heart. Right? He had already made this decision that he would not be swayed by anything that she said or did. He had endured this temptation, and God was giving him the strength to reject it. And I do love what he does, though. He runs away, right? That she grabs him by the garment. He knows, right? He knows his flesh. He knows his sinfulness, and he says, I am out of here, man. Right? I am out of here. And he books, and he runs out. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lusts. Ephesians 5.11 says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, God always gives us a way of escape and temptation. And Joseph was able, by the grace of God, to escape. He runs away. And as he runs away, we see that she grabs onto his garment, causing him to flee outside, perhaps either naked or just with his undergarments on, right? And that is how Joseph, he doesn't care. He says, I am getting out of here. And she grabs his garment from him. You know, I was thinking about this. Joseph, he may have well known how this would look. 
He may have well known what the rest of the story would be like. He may have known that when he was to run outside without his clothes on, that Potiphar's wife would accuse him, that this would happen. But Joseph, he would rather face those consequences than sin against God, right? He trusted God. He trusted that God was with him, that God would deliver him. And we see in this, this text that Potiphar's wife makes up this story against Joseph as to how he came onto her. And when she cries out for help that he ran away and she left his garment. You see, Potiphar's wife was deceitful. She knew exactly what she was doing. She saw this as an opportune moment that he was alone in the house. There was no one else that saw it. There was no one else around to, to refute her story. And we see here in this text that she blames Potiphar. She says, you've brought in this man to mock the household. And she falsely accuses Joseph. You know, false accusation, right? Dealing with false accusation, this is so incredibly difficult. Why? Because it questions your character, right? Because it questions who you are. When other people say, you did this, you said this, and you know before God that you have not, can be incredibly painful. But I love the way that Joseph responds. You see, we don't, we don't see exactly all of the little pieces of what happens, but what we don't see is we do not see Joseph defending himself, right? We do not see Joseph jumping in and saying, that is false, that's not true, you came on to me, you've been doing this for years, right? And we don't see her, him bashing Potiphar's wife. What we see seemingly is that he doesn't open his mouth at all. Right? Why? Because Joseph knows his innocence before God. Because Joseph knows his character and he knows that he has been faithful before God. And church, again, what a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, in talking about Jesus, Peter writes, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You see, Jesus had every opportunity to defend himself. They were making accusations against him that were completely false, but he opened not his mouth. Why? Because he trusted in the plan of God. And Joseph, what a picture, trusting in God's plan, trusting that God is in control no matter what happens to him. Oh, what a blessed faith this is, right? What a faith this is. This is a faith that we can desire, right? That, that we can pray and say, God, strengthen me, right? Strengthen me that when I am falsely accused, right? When, when these things come against me, I will trust you enough to open not my mouth. Let's finish the chapter. In Genesis 39, verses, verse 20. Verse 20 says this, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison, but the Lord, look at this, this wording once again, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Our final point for tonight that the Lord was with Joseph in prison. You see, Potiphar receives these accusations 
from his wife and from the other men that Joseph had, had run out without his clothes on. And Potiphar, being in the position that he was in, has no choice but to punish Joseph. But you see, what could have been, what, what many commentators even feel as though happens in this scenario is that it says that Potiphar's anger is aroused, but it doesn't say who his anger is aroused against, right? It would seem that Potiphar's anger is not with Joseph because it would seem that he suspects that there is something fishy about the situation, right? It would seem that he knows the character of Joseph, that he has trusted his entire household to this man. And by Joseph's character, he would, he would think that this is not something that Joseph would do, right? And maybe his wife, you know, it was, it was common during this time for, for Egyptian women to be very sexually promiscuous, right? To, to, to go outside of their marriage. And maybe, just maybe, Potiphar, he knew that Joseph was innocent. But his hands, in a sense, were tied. You see, Potiphar, he should have sentenced Joseph to death, right? If, if, if he really felt as though Joseph was guilty, remember who he is, right? He's the, he's the head of the guard of Pharaoh. He has every authority to put Joseph to death. But what we see instead is that he puts him in prison, in the king's prison. And once again, as we read in verse 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. See, God had never left Joseph. Throughout all the things that we've talked about tonight, God was with him. He was with him in the trial. He was with him in the prison. And just as was the case in Potiphar's household, he commits all of the operations of the prison to Joseph's oversight. God just continuing to put and to exalt Joseph that when Joseph is brought down by a man, when he is humbled by a man, that God just continues to exalt him and to put him in this place of authority, even preparing him maybe for the place of authority that he will have later on in Egypt. But you see, we look at this text and once again, we can ask ourselves the question, as humans, we can say, how was the Lord with Joseph, right? Joseph was righteous. Potiphar's wife was wicked and she gets off clean, right? Doesn't seem like she faces any consequences, but here I am, God. Here I am in prison. I have been faithful to you. I was cast into a pit by my brothers. I was left to dead. I was sold into slavery, I served faithfully. I, I resisted temptation for years, Lord. And now look where I am. I'm in prison. And it can seem from the outside that God has forsaken him. But you see, God was with him. God had a plan. God knew. Joseph didn't know. I said it before. Joseph didn't have the rest of the book of Genesis, right? He didn't know what the result was. But God knew that in that prison is exactly where he needed to be, right? Because in that prison, God would cause him to, to, to form relationships with men. And you guys, I'm not gonna spoil the rest of the story. You guys know it. You can spoil it yourselves. You can read ahead, right? But we know it happens, right? That God will eventually bring him up out of that prison to set him alongside of Pharaoh and to bring salvation to his family, to the nation of Israel, to preserve this godly line. See, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts, higher than our thoughts. When we don't understand the things that are happening to us, do we trust the Lord, right? Do we trust him? Do we press in and say, God, 
I don't know what's happening, but I know that you're good, right? And I love you. And I'm gonna be faithful and I'm gonna walk with you no matter what. So in conclusion for tonight, God was with Joseph. His ways, as I said, are higher than our ways. He was working all things together for the good of those who love him. He was working things together for his purposes and for his glory. Maybe tonight you're in that place of trial, right? Maybe you've been walking through trial, whatever it is. Maybe it's, it, it's something medically that, that you're dealing with or someone in your family, right? Or, or maybe, like we talked about in the beginning, maybe it's rejection, right? Maybe you're experiencing rejection from man or, or whatever. You fill in the blank. And maybe you felt as though God has left you. Maybe, like Joseph, I'm sure thought at a time, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this circumstance? Would you know by the truth of God's word that he is with you, that he promises to never leave you, to never forsake you? Maybe you're here tonight and you're struggling with temptation. You're struggling with sin. And again, you fill in the blank. You know exactly what that is, right? And maybe it's relentless. Maybe you experience the enemy day after day bring that temptation and you're struggling and you're saying, I'm trying so hard. I'm trying to resist. I'm trying and it's difficult. Listen, I know that it's difficult, right? I know, right? It is. But here's the thing. Ask yourself this question is, do you have fellowship with Jesus? Are you walking in the light as he is in the light? Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you pressing in, right? Because when we do, Jesus gives us the victory. When we do, we can, like Joseph, have this response of, how can I do this great wickedness against God? Let that be the prayer of our hearts, church. God, make the things of the world disgusting to me, right? Make the things of the world so ridiculous to me that I would never even pursue it. When we walk in the spirit, when we are spiritually minded people, God will help us to recognize those things that are not of him, and he, by his grace, will give us the ability to resist. Guys, it's his grace, right? We cannot do it in our own strength, right? We cannot resist temptation. We need the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? We pray, right? And we ask God to come, to fill us, to strengthen us, to walk with him. That's what we're gonna do tonight. So let's pray together.